For those who are visiting with us, we are studying the book of James, <clears throat> and we have come to a, a break in the section that uh, we were studying last week or two weeks ago about when a person is tempted, that temptation is not only from without, temptation is from within. And, and temptation is something that is known to every human being. So much so that you remember Flip Wilson, his line used to be, the devil made me do it. And so he had an out, as he thought, but not so. And in verse 16 of James 1, James makes a very interesting remark. Verse 16 we looked at it last week, and we're going to just take it as a transition into the message this morning. In verse 16, he made this statement. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The King James uses the word err. Don't err. E-R-R. -R. The word simply means don't be led astray. You see, what people were saying is because God made me this way, this is the way God made me, so whatever is wrong with me, blame God, don't blame me. And I said that this started in the garden. When Adam was having his problem, he said to God, you gave me the woman. So it's your problem, not mine. And we live with that kind of philosophy. That, that everything that is wrong with me is someone else's fault. Um, I, was, I was in a meeting Friday morning, and we were talking about uh, some of the experiences that we had. And, and so, so I, I, to, I, I was thinking of this as I was about to share. I was in a meeting in Toronto, and, and, and someone asked me the question, do you agree with the way your mother brought you up? And I said, I had no choice. <laughs> she just said it. I thought if, if, if my mother, if my mother was, was dealing with me today as she dealt with me, then I'd visit her in prison. <laughs> That's where she would be. In Britain, in Britain, it is an outlaw to spank a child. My mother, my mother didn't spank me. <laughs> I don't want to tell you what she did. <laughs> but here I am. Because, you see, spanking is supposed to affect the way a child behaves later on. And, and friends, if that was true, I should not be here. should be in prison somewhere. Because, because my mother, you know, like you heard me said before, when my mother called, it was not a request. It was a command. She called one and a half times. The first time and half of the second time. And you know what the other half meant. So we could be deceived. I could say God made me this way. And How can God say that something is wrong with me if this is the way he made me? So that was one way in which that little word, don't err, don't go astray in your thinking, 
because wrong thinking about God will lead to wrong conduct in life. Verse 16 ties to what went on from verse 15 to verse 1. But it also connects with what is happening from verse 16 onward. He said, don't be deceived. God is not tempting. God never tempts anyone because God can never be tempted with evil. God will never tell me to kill someone. God will never tell me to hate someone. God will never tell me anything that will destroy another's life. Everything good comes from God. Don't be deceived because the only thing that God gives to us is what is good. And I can see some of your minds turning. Yeah, but what about? <laughs> we had some friends visiting with us last night. They had just returned from um, Japan and Korea. And they were visiting with us and they were telling us about their trip. They were right there when the typhoon was, was in, in Japan just a few weeks ago. They had just been on their way there and all the, the difficulties that they were, were having in getting into South Korea and, and, and then back. And, and as they were talking with us, we, we told them that we were thinking of you because I knew that you were there at the time that was happening. But what I'm talking about, friends, is when you, when you look at a typhoon, when you look at a hurricane, when you look at, at earthquakes, when you look at suffering in the world, are you not tempted to think, is God good? Can a God be trusted who allows things like this to happen? We, we want to make sure that the God we're talking about is a God who can be trusted with that. So we go into the text now, and James makes an assertion. This is what he says. Every, verse 17, every good thing or anything good, anything good. He's making an assumption that goodness does exist in the world. You know, one of the things we love to do is, is when we have beautiful days, nice days, we enjoy it to the hilt. And then when there is rain, I said when we moved here in 2003, it, it was, someone said, no, this is not 1996. I mean, it rained, it rained, it rained, it rained every day. And I thought, what's wrong with this place? <laughs> uh, it, it was really something I could not understand because Lois is from Southern Oregon. So when we go, we go down to Medford and it never rains in Medford. I mean, it does. <laughs> It rained. Christopher, our boy, was going into high school and he was complaining about the rain. And I said to him, boy, you don't have to shovel this. <laughs> <laughs> when it rains, we always find reasons to blame God for what goes, what's going wrong. But we never acknowledge him for the many, many things that are good. You know, Lois and I, I'm in my study upstairs. She might be downstairs doing some reading or whatever. And um, it's time for supper. And you know, not once this week did we have to ask, 
what are we going to eat? You know what we ask? What are we going to cook? The freezer is full of food. I never had to stop one moment to think. When I was a child, that was not the case. God is good, but we want to define goodness this morning. The word good comes from a, a Greek word which means something that is beneficial, something that is useful, something that benefits those who receive it. So things that are beautiful, like a sunset, or the birth of a new child, or the, the, the provision, you know, as where I am in my study at home, I can look um, for Jan, you know, when, when we first moved here, people asked, do you miss Toronto? And I would say yes, and what do you miss most? I say skyscrapers. <laughs> you know, Oregon is, Salem is flat. In, in my study, I can see Mount Hood and Mount Jefferson. I'm not talking about being rich, okay? I just, I didn't know that was there when we bought the house. It just happened to be there. God is good. It's beautiful on a sunny day. And like now, you can look and you can see all the, the, the changing of the leaves from my, 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 from my room, my study upstairs. Beautiful things of beauty. Things that coordinate, things that you can depend on is because of the goodness of God. We'll explore this some more because I want to move from the definition to the dark side of goodness. The dark side of goodness. What do I mean by that? I mean that there is a, a side of goodness that when we say this is good, Humanly speaking, we cannot see anything in this that is good. Listen to Romans 8. God is able to make all things work together for good. Not most things, not some things, but all things. Good things and bad things. Let me illustrate this for you. In the summer, we studied the life of George Mueller. George Mueller was one of the great Christians of uh, 200 years ago, 150 years ago, a man who was known for what is called a man of faith. He started schools for children in London, homes for children in London long before it was something that government thought they could do. George Mueller started schools, 10 places, homes he started and there were times when there was nothing to eat. And he would tell the kids to set the tables. And they thought, we don't have anything in the house. And he would say, God is going to provide. And the story I'm thinking about with Mueller was one time he told the kids to do this. And kids could not understand why. And when all the kids had set the tables... And sat down, they heard a knock on the door. A truck that was transporting food to another place broke down right in front of their home. And they said, you can have the food because we can't take it. We can't get the truck from here right now. God is good. But it's a dark side. He loved his wife. You should read some of the love letters he sent to his wife. 
And he got the, note, the, the notice from the doctor that his wife was terminally ill and was about to die. He sat down with his wife, talked with her, shared with her. And the last thing, the last thing Mueller did with his wife was to read this portion of scripture to her. Listen to it. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now listen to his reasoning. Now, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received grace, we are partakers of grace, and all such he will give glory also. I said to myself in regards to this part of the experience with my dear wife, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. I consider my wife to be a good thing, but I am wondering, my darling wife, if God will raise you up again. No, I believe that he will because he said, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. As far as I know, I'm walking uprightly. I'm seeking to obey God. And I'm trusting him to restore you. But if she is not restored again, if she is taken, please listen to this now. This is the dark side of goodness. If she is taken, it would be because God decided that for her to stay here one more day would not be good for me. That's the dark side of goodness. How can I see the goodness of God while I am passing through pain difficulties, things that I cannot understand. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied when she breathed her last because God left me with a sense of his goodness in taking my wife rather than sparing her one more day. Oh, dear friends, George Mueller, the man who was a friend of John Newton that wrote songs like Amazing Grace. Listen, listen, to what, listen to what he writes in a song. And Mueller, in all his life, was saddled with depression. Tried to commit suicide three times. And he writes, listen to what he wrote. God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. In other words, you can't trace God's footsteps all the time. And rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Can we trust God on the other side of goodness? Can we say God is good when it's sunshine as well as when it's rain? 
Friends, I'm not, I'm not standing here telling you this is what you should do and I shouldn't do it. I'm not talking about a theory here. I'm talking about a person who trusts God and has come to know God in such a way that when the dark side of goodness is experienced, God is still good. That's not easy. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. Whenever something goes wrong in our lives, the tendency is to stop believing in God, but then in heaven's name, what do we believe in then? What do we believe in then? See, the Christian life is not a bed of roses where we walk forever in, in you know, we used to sing it, didn't, didn't we used to sing it? Um, the day when I believed in Jesus, I was happy all the days, something like that. Which of you have been happy every day of your life? We've got to be real. People have to see us in such a way that when they see us, they see something of our lifestyle that says you must have hope in someone bigger than yourself because I could never face life the way you're facing it. The dark side of goodness Then I call this the, the, the word that my secretary said to me, is, is that a word? The, the word simply means the source. Where does goodness come from? Does goodness come from, from, from human beings? Stephen Hawking thought that. And many today feel that, that goodness is, 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 is an abstraction. It's something, it's something that we, we desire in life. It's something that we should be able to do. Uh, Rodney, whatever his name is in California, why can't we all just get along together? And if he had asked me that question, I would answer him with Aristotle's words. Aristotle said, the reason we need justice is because we're not all friends. <laughs> and, and, and my friends... What I'm saying, where does goodness come from? Does it come from the sky? Does it come from, from people just, just um, discovering something that, that is, that is oh, this looks kind of good to me. I think I like this. We, we are constantly trying. We're trying. Listen to St. Paul. Listen to St. Paul. My own behavior baffles me, for I find myself doing what I really don't want to do. I want to do good. But evil is present with me. I often find I have the will to do good, but not the power to do it. Because the scripture says that goodness is not something that comes from you and me. This kind of goodness we're talking about is a goodness that has to do, as we'll see in a minute, has to do with righteousness. Has to do with who God is. It's not a philosophy with which I live. We would say, I have good neighbors. We, we had a, a lady that lives behind us where we are in, in West Salem. <laughs> and she, some years ago, she wanted to see the mountain. And she called and said, could you cut the tree down between my house and... Yes, she did. And, and my wife was not a happy camper. 
we have to cut our tree down so she could see the mountain? I mean, she's really asking a little bit too much. I, and and I, I saw it differently. Because I thought, we have grace, she doesn't. And grace can allow me to do good things that ordinarily I wouldn't do. We came to an understanding and we gave her permission to cut the tree down. She paid for it. <laughs> what I'm saying, friends, what I'm saying is that goodness is not a philosophy with which we live. Because if anyone violates that philosophy, we have some way, somehow, in which to take care of matters. You know, our politicians have to spend more time defending things they didn't say or do in the last 20, 30, 40 years than things that they're going to do in the future. <laughs> I was reading the last um, bit of information about the, the three leaders in, in, in Toronto. And uh, they have to be answering questions, especially the one leader. What, what is goodness? Goodness is not something that just happens, especially when, when we have need of something. Listen to what James says. Goodness comes down, comes down. It comes from somewhere else. It is, it is something objective, not subjective. So if, it, if how far up do we have to go so that we can discover goodness? Uh, you remember in, in 1969 when the two um, Russian... Sputnik went up, and uh, one of the guys said, we went out of space and we didn't see God, so that's a proof that there's no God. And J. Vernon McGee said, you didn't go high enough. <laughs> because you see what, what James is saying, it is not in the skies. It, 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 is, not, it, is, not, it is not in the universe. It is not as Stephen Hawking says, we can go out and we better get ready because there might be beings out of space and we have to learn how to live with them. And I said, when I read that, I said, Stephen, we can't even learn how to live with ourselves. <laughs> See, goodness comes from someone, not from somewhere. Listen to what James says. Every good thing and every perfect comes down from the Father. The Father. The one behind what we experience, even when we look at the dark side of goodness, is a Father. Listen to four things a Father does. A Father is the source of life. He's the source 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says he's the father of mercy. It comes from him. A father is a provider. Matthew 6, 13 says, Pray, our father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. A father is a nourisher. A father is a nourisher. A father provides. Uh, I remember before our boy got, got married, he was going with a, a, a young girl in, um, in Seattle. And, and as, as, as 
those things go, they broke up. And, and Christopher was just beside himself. And he called home. He called home to talk with mom and dad. Because we had, we had trained our children to come to us so that we could nourish them. Uh, John Wesley, when he was at Oxford University, and his, the, the question was asked about some kind of moral behavior, Wesley sent home to his mother, who taught him. Father was an Anglican, Anglican minister. And, and says, Mother, what is sin? And see, the mother was one who nourished, who made the, 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 the mind and the conscience of these children tender so that they would know what source is provided for, uh, where it comes from in things that they have, a nourisher. Children, fathers are to nourish their children. A father is used in the Bible as a protector. The last thing Jesus did before he died, the last thing he did was to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The last thing he did, he was so absolutely sure of the protection of the father in the grave that he was able to commit his spirit to him leaving this world. So when, when James says, the father is the one from whom all good gifts come, he's talking about one who has compassion, one who understands us, one who is tender toward us, one who is loving toward us, one who is forgiving toward us. Uh, we're talking about the... Uh, about a meeting, meeting that I had Friday, we were sharing as, as, as men around the table, and I was telling them about one time I had to correct, had to correct my daughter. Uh, she was being very cheeky to her mother. And they all laugh at the word cheeky because they've never heard it. And perhaps some of you are thinking the same thing. What does it mean to be cheeky? It means to be unruly. And I, was, I, I couldn't do that to my mother. <laughs> And so Heather is not supposed to do that to her mother. So I took her aside. And I did what my mother did to me, but not in the same way. And then I put her on my lap. And I said, you know why Daddy had to correct you? And she says, yes, Dad, I'm sorry. She says, Daddy, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. Mind, I just finished spanking her. And listen to her question. Daddy, do I still get my allowance? <laughs> I said to her, honey, your allowance is not a payment. Your allowance is a gift. It's a gift. A nourisher, a protector, a provider, a source. Every good gift that we receive comes nothing Bad comes from God. We perceive difficult things in the dark side of goodness, but God says he is able to make all things work together for good. And friends, I'm not standing here saying that I want to get bad news today. But I am saying that if bad news should come, I want to be able to understand the dark side of goodness. Lastly, I close with this. Not only is the description of the giver given, he's a father. And when you think of, the, by the way, you know that the word father is never used in the Old Testament. It is only when we come to the New Testament. All the time in the Old Testament, God is talking about his fatherly 
um, 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 attributes are talked about in the Old Testament, but, but what kind of a father is he? Let me quickly take you over this. You don't have to write this down. In Exodus 33, 17, Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, listen, you cannot see my glory for no man can see my glory and live. But what I will do, listen to what God says now. You want to see my glory? I'll show you my goodness. I will let all my goodness pass before you. And then in, Gen in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we read this. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love or goodness. Abounding in goodness. My friends, the goodness of God is so vast that if we live to be a thousand years, we will never be able to exhaust it. They're new every morning. You know, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you won't see the sun, but it will be shining. <laughs> I can go on with that. Let me close. James says something else that is very interesting. He says he is a dependable God. He's a dependable God. Listen to what he says. There is no shadow of turning with him. God does not change. Now, when I say that God does not change, I'm not saying that God is in a rut. What we mean when we say God does not change, he does not change in his character. He doesn't change in his truth. He doesn't change in his ways. So when James says that God was faithful in yesteryears, whatever years are before, God is faithful. When he says God is a forgiving God, in David's experience, he's also a forgiving God in Peter's experience. He never changes in that we are absolutely sure that even when we cannot see what he is doing, we can be convinced because he cannot change that if he was good yesterday, he would be good today and he would be good tomorrow. Never changes. It means I can, I, can, I can depend upon God. He's not going to be a different God tomorrow. The years have not changed him. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. You never change. It means, my friends, that God doesn't increase from what he was yesterday, and he will not increase to what he could be tomorrow. God is, God is perfect. He lacks nothing. That's why he says every good and perfect gift. The dark side, the dark side of goodness is where we trust God that there is some perfect design behind this. I cannot see, but I can trust the God who has allowed it to happen. I want to close with the words of J.I. Packer. 
He has a book called The Knowing God. I kind of took the title from that, not what he said, but just the title, To Know God. Listen in closing what he says. God says, I never change. Every good gift comes from me. Where is the sense of distance between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? Between believers in Bible times and ourselves in the 21st century. Is it excluded or included? On what grounds then, if included, on what grounds that God does not change? Fellowship with him, trust in his word, living by faith, standing on the promises of God are essentially the same realities today as they were yesterday. You know, I was think, thinking of that. you remember what God said to Gideon? <laughs> when God was going to go and take the army, there were 3,000, and God said, too many. And he dwindled them to 300. And this, this is what I'm saying, friends. If God could win with 300 over a nation, he can do it then, and he can do it now. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. God and his Christ remain the same. But the thought brings out a searching challenge too. If God is the same as the God of the New Testament, when it was written by Paul and James and John, if our God is the same as the God of the New Testament, how can we justify ourselves in resting content with an experience of communion with him and a level of Christian conduct that fails to demonstrate that God is the same. I should never give people the reason to believe you are not trusting God because when David was trusting God, he said, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. We could trust him then, we can trust him now, and we can trust him in the future because God is good all the time. God is good. Let's pray. Father, we live in a time, and we do not need to tell you, but we live in a time when human autonomy is at the forefront. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking now of that one uh, U.S. representative from Baltimore. Last week, he was judging the president. Today, he's in the grave. In other words, he does not own his life, neither do we. Help us not to judge God by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Lord, I don't know who has come into this place experiencing the dark side of goodness. But I pray that your word may have had the answer to whatever they're facing today. That trusting Jesus Christ is not just a religious thing. It is a means by which we're able to face life with all its difficulties, with all its dark side, and to enjoy the good side of life 
with gratitude to God because every good gift and perfect comes down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning, no variation in God. What God was yesterday, he is today and will be tomorrow. We thank you for this blessed hope in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, next week we'll take verse 18. That was just verse 17. Please stand and sing with us our closing song. <laughs>